This mega video is brought to you by my programs on building your wealth with a coupon code expiring on Christmas Day. Check it out, link down below, and you get lifetime access to all the new content that's added to them. Greetings and happy Saturday. I got some hot coffee here and this is the perfect time to take a sip. But today we got to talk about Kathy Wood suggesting that it could be a recession ahead of us and we got to be worried about it. Oh man. Mm. Oh, that was a perfect swallow. Thank you. So, folks, <laughs> let's take a look at what Kathy Wood just said because, boy, oh boy, there's a lot in this. Now, I want to start by saying this. This comes across as defensive, but also strong by Kathy Wood. Uh, and uh, this, this does not water down her message of the dangers and the prospects that our stock market faces going forward. I highly respect this piece. Usually on Fridays, Kathy Wood, not every Friday, but oftentimes does a video. This time she decided to do a cold, hard piece. After she announced this piece on Twitter, obviously referencing her blog on her website, uh, Bloomberg picked it up, other websites picked it up, but none of them actually gave a good summary of it, IMO, because we're actually just gonna go through the meat of the matter here and do my own version, because that's what we do. Okay, here we go, we're gonna get right into it and I'm gonna add my comments as we go. So, first of all, Kathy Wood, we need to know, her uh, funds have not done super well. With the exception of her uh, autonomous and uh, robo-taxi fund, uh, or, or robotics fund, I should say, uh, that is ARCQ. ARCQ, you can always go to finance.google.com to kind of compare relative to performance. Other than ARCQ, all of her funds are uh, down for the year, which is not great. And again, you can jump on over to see this yourself by uh, just typing in finance.google.com, give it a year-to-date performance. Actually, RQ just went negative. Uh, my bad. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it, it's nothing to laugh at. It just is what it is. But anyway, uh, look at uh, ARCW, look at the genomics, look at the innovation, look at the fintech, uh, look at the space. Uh, I mean, every every one of the popular funds is, is down here, which is not great. And you compare this performance to the NASDAQ, you're uh, up 24% on the NASDAQ, you're down 22% year to date on the RK, 31% on genomics and, and so on and so forth. So painful, right? Painful, painful performance a year to date. Got it. So what does Kathy say about this? Well, this is what Kathy has to say. Kathy says that, hey, perhaps some of the concern that has been rotating, uh, that has been influenced by negative headlines in the media is the volatility of our strategy. This is a, th a core theme of what she talks about, that her disruptive innovative strategies uh, are, are long-term investments. These are a five-year planned investment uh, that she renews essentially uh, as she, she this is hence the basis of being an active ETF. She can change her strategies as she goes, of course, uh, but her goal is investing for five years. And so she's worried that people are comparing themselves to the benchmark of the S&P 500. And when they compare themselves via this relative performance, they take temporary losses and make them a permanent. And so she believes that going forward, forget about what the S&P 500 does, we are going to, or at least we're expecting, a 40% compounded annual rate of growth over the next five years. Just to understand what that looks like, if you took $100, multiplied it by a 40% growth rate two times in a row, you're almost double, you're at $196. If you do that for a full five years, $100 turns into 500 
$137. And so Kathy is sending this warning that, hey, if you're trying to compare yourself to the benchmark, you could be trying to invest in something that, look, in 2020 did a 16% return. Kathy's RK did over 150%, right? You could miss out on years like this by being worried about the 16% S&P or the 24% or 25% or whatever the S&P is doing this year and then be sad about the minus 22% this year. Who cares? Strategies are volatile. You're gonna see that 150, then you're gonna see the 20, negative 22, then hopefully you see a, a 40 and a 60, maybe in a time when the S&P does 6% next year, maybe ARCA-G as an example will return something like 50%. And then people go, oh my gosh, Kathy did almost uh, eight times or, or just eight times, a little over eight times what uh, the S&P did with her ARCG fund, right? This, this is the nature of volatility that she's trying to explain. I'm obviously simplifying this here, but anyway, she mentions that after 11 months, in other words, basically she's saying since February, all of her strategies have kind of just been straight down and it's been very painful. And she's saying after this 11 month sell-off, we're now in a deep value territory. She didn't take it to the level of going deep effing value because I mean, that, that, that could have made a big difference here. We could have gone to the, to the moon on that just on momentum on Monday. But she did go use the phrase deep of value. And she purposefully does this because what she's trying to do is she's trying to compare value stocks to deep value. And for her opinion, or in, in her opinion, and this is what she's talked about, just putting together a lot of information from Kathy Wood uh, over time, her opinion is that a lot of apparent value stocks, like, uh, uh, like I, I don't know, more of your classic kind of like the Coca-Colas of the world or whatever, uh, these companies are going to get potentially replaced by disruptive innovation and that these will end up being value traps. Maybe Coca-Cola is not the best example. Maybe a, a Ford Motor Company is a better example where it's like, Hey, is Ford actually going to be able to innovate and stay the course with companies like, whether it's Xping Motors, which Kathy Wood recently started investing in in China, uh, or Tesla, or, or some of the pure EV plays? You know, this is her argument, right? And her argument is that the same is true in a lot of the companies that have been terribly sold off this year, uh, specifically in the genomic space, where they've become so cheap that not only do they look like value, but they're disruptive value, rather than potentially being value traps that'll get replaced by innovation, these deep value plays are things that can 5x over the next five years. This is a big selling feature she's talking about. She's like, don't compare me to the S&P 500 when we're investing in deep effing value. So much, I mean, she's gotta be professional, right? So let's keep it clear. But anyway, uh, you know, this, is where she spends a little bit of time talking about how she does not believe that her disruptive strategies, her investments into companies like DocuSign, Teladoc, or Zoom, she does not believe that these companies are, are, uh, are, are companies that are necessarily overvalued, but she also disputes the argument that these are just stay-at-home plays. She argues that, look, you've got a company like Zoom that's uh, down 68% from peak to trough, or DocuSign, 56%, Teladoc, 70%, top to bottom, high to low, right? Uh, and this at the same time, as you've got companies like Zoom and DocuSign crushing it in terms of revenues. EBITDA increased 58% uh, over at uh, Zoom since the fourth quarter ended July 2020. Uh, that's, that's incredible, 
right? So, so these, these are things where she's saying, hey, look, we've got a lot of potential growth in these. Don't just call them stay-at-home plays. Now, one thing that I dispute with Kathy here is that I think what they, they may have missed here a little bit is trade psychology. Uh, now, I understand she is the five-year investor. Trade psychology is something that maybe is, is, in her opinion, going to be less important over five years. I respect that. But here's what I mean when I say trade psychology. When the pandemic struck, people fled. Uh, there was a flight, a flight of people to DocuSign, TDoc, uh, and Zoom because these were not just... Uh, stay-at-home place, as, as Kathy's saying, because she's saying, hey, they're not just stay-at-home place. I agree. Uh, here, let's write this right. Stay-at-home. They're not just stay-at-home place. They're innovative place. But the thing is, people were not going to uh, Teladoc and Zoom and DocuSign for innovation. Kathy's like, hey, I'm all in on this for the innovation. Well, sorry, people were not trading into these stocks for innovation. They were trading into them as a stay-at-home safety play because if they were exposed to Carnival Cruise Lines or the airlines or whatever, they didn't have safety. So those investors were able to flee to the stay-at-home cohort to, to invest in. But now stay-at-home has been on this downtrend and the Carnival Cruise Lines and American Airlines have been on a downtrend because of Omicron. So these folks are having to go to different safety plays. And right now, it looks like that those safety plays are things like Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, MSFT, there we go, whatever, it doesn't matter, you know what I mean. Apple, Microsoft, uh, even to some degree, to some degree, okay, not as much, but Tesla, uh, Adobe, even though Adobe had a little bit of compression recently, Facebook, right? These, these are big companies that people seem to be fleeing to. So there's this big basket of money, in my opinion, that flows around. Pandemic strikes, it flows into DocuSign, Teladoc, Zoom. Recovery comes, that big basket of money goes into what I talked about, those airlines and the Carnival Cruise Lines. Now those are a problem, but you don't wanna go back to Teladoc, Zoom, and DocuSign because we have fears of rates going up and valuation compression. So instead, we U-turn that line over here and we're going to the uh, the FANG, right? <laughs> the Netflix and so on and so forth. And so I think that's the, the trade psychology that was missed here. And and I think Kathy Wood and, and the team at ARC had a missed opportunity to talk about this, that a lot of these declines are not the market voting saying that these companies are bad. It's people leaving the stocks who never meant to be in these stocks in the first place. They just use them as a temporary uh, cash park, so to speak. Uh, I think that was a missed opportunity and explanation, and that's obviously why I'm talking about it. Now, this... Uh, either way you slice it, Kathy Wood says brings these to a deep value uh, level of, of pricing. So now, let's talk a little bit about inflation. This is the next part, and this is the perfect part for you to take another sip of beautiful coffee because, folks, we got a lot to talk about with inflation. And the first thing we're going to talk about with inflation is actually this word transitory. And I want to tell you something that just happened. Hold on. Listen to this. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to listen to the coffee swell, but you have to listen to the transitory part. Okay. 
Jerome Powell came out saying that inflation, we're gonna retire the word transitory, right? Immediately when he did, I made a video saying, I think he's being politically swayed by Joe Biden. I do not think that Jerome Powell thinks that inflation is no longer transitory. In other words, I think that Jerome Powell is still strategizing as if inflation is, strategy, uh, is, is transitory, that he still thinks inflation is going to go down when these inflation, or not the inflation, when the uh, supply chain issues subside. We know this is a fact because if you look at the summary of economic projections from the Federal Reserve, not that document, different document, right here. If you look at the summary of economic projections, uh, not this scribble right here, but rather this right here, what do you end up getting? You end up getting an estimate from the Federal Reserve that shows that inflation is going to fall uh, by half in 2022. So the Fed still seems to think that inflation is transitory, uh, which is important because this means the Fed thinks that inflation is going down. The mainstream media, especially the right-wing media, right before the 2022 election, not taking political sides, just calling it like it is, they're gonna do everything they can to bag on Biden. And the best thing you can do to bag on Biden right now is go, you idiot, your policies caused inflation, which don't get me wrong, to some degree, they may have, they may have contributed. Look, I, I'm, this is not a political video, okay? Just saying, you're gonna get the mainstream media going, oh yeah, inflation's going to the moon. Uh, and, and ironically, you even got the left-leaning media b b making this argument because I honestly don't think they, they understand that uh, the flip side argument. But that's okay. We'll, we'll put that aside. So you got the Fed thinking inflation's going down. You got the mainstream media thinking that inflation's going up. But then guess where Kathy Wood falls? She actually somewhat aligns with the Fed. Then inflation's going to go down. We're going to look at this here. Look at this. All right, broad-based market indices have rotated away from growth stocks towards value and defensive stocks. So she calls FANG defensive. Uh, fine, that's kind of acknowledging that sort of flight to safety. I think she missed that argument in, in the, uh, the, the stay-at-home play, but no problem. Uh, then she says that inflation tends to benefit value stocks, but in this case, she's comparing value stocks to energy, financial services, industrials, and materials. In fairness, a lot of materials have gone up a lot. We'll talk about those in just a moment, with the exception, ironically, of precious metals. Precious metals have not done very well uh, in 2021. But anyway, she mentions that higher interest rates tend to hurt aggressive growth stocks that sacrifice short-term profitability for the benefit of substantial growth in the future. In other words, in English, Oh, and then this is the, the BS part from Jerome Powell, which we just talked about on the side, but I'll, I'll come right back to that. In other words, Kathy Wood is saying that, look, when we have inflation and fears of inflation, companies or, or uh, investment managers, institutions, they're gonna look around at property or companies. They're gonna look around at other investment opportunities and companies and say, hey, wait a minute. If we're gonna have higher inflation, then, and we're gonna do our discounted cash flow models, which discounted cash flow does two things. What, it takes into account a discount rate and it takes into account future cash flow. But the problem is, if you reduce the value of future cash flow on companies that already have very little future cash flow, then the present value, the PV of the companies is going to look a lot less. And so she makes this argument here that companies, investment companies are uh, unfairly uh, ignoring the fact that there are companies that are aggressively 
positioned for massive growth that yes, sacrifice short-term profitability, but in doing so, let them take advantage of massive growth opportunities because they're investing now into what they know will be bigger growth rather than here more dividends or here's, you know, whatever, here's some stock buybacks or whatever. They're investing in what they know or expect is gonna make big money in the future. And this, uh, in addition to this, this inflation narrative, which he doesn't necessarily agree with, is giving reason to investors to tax loss harvest uh, the innovation sector, leading the innovation sector to sell off more, right? In addition, this is, I've also kind of touched on this. She believes that algorithms are, are doing 70% of the trading. And because of the formulas that we just talked about, are automatically crushing these sorts of stocks. In fact, she mentions during March and April, the big strategies during March and April of 2020 were look for companies that have a lot of cash on their balance sheet uh, and then calculate their cash burn. In other words, it, this was very, very common. I remember this stuff. I mean, this, this is crazy, and, and not that it was really long ago, but I remember doing even these types of calculations. People would go in and say, okay, American Airlines, they got 20 billion in the bank. They're burning 5 billion a month. Okay, got it. They're four billion, uh, or they're, they're four months rather away from bankruptcy. If they get an infusion of a $10 billion bailout, okay, cool. That gives them six and a half, uh, six and a half months. All right, we still think they're gonna go bankrupt. Sell. <laughs> Right, and this is basically the formulas. These these algos going. Okay, this is the new input. You got it. We'll sell according to the new rules. She's making this comparison that that's what's happening with this whole inflation argument now. Is this right here where the algorithms are basically ignoring the fact that we're making big investments into big innovation, and instead we're selling off companies that really shouldn't be selling off that much. Again, I'm going to reiterate that I personally believe missing a little bit the argument about how many people actually thought that DocuSign, Teladoc, and Zoom were their safety stocks during the pandemic and have pulled their money out. They never were meant to be there in the first place. So the reality is the stock should have never gotten that expensive in the first place. <laughs> uh, but if you look, just to take kind of a little break from, from Kathy's piece right here, if you go back and you look at what's happening in the stock market right now, and you zoom out on the day chart here for something like DocuSign, we've hit a freaking floor. This is good. Look at this floor that we've hit. I mean, we from from December 3rd to now, we've had some substantial red days in the market and DocuSign has not gone under that floor. Let's look at uh, Zoom just for giggles to see if they've hit a floor. Uh, and then we can uh, also just briefly look at TDoc. So, so look at uh, Zoom. Zoom uh, hit a floor, uh, hit a low of 184 on the 3rd, 182-ish on the 6th and just hit 174 here on the 15th. But notice how that's that's like a nominal decline. It feels like we're somewhere around a floor on DocuSign and on Zoom. Similar with TDoc, we fell under 100. I think we went to about 90. We had a nice little rebound here. Yeah, we went to 87. But look at that floor. Compare that floor, 87, to the low that we had on 12.3, on, uh, we had an intraday low of 89, intraday low of 88, a uh, low here of 87.27. We're at a floor on TDoc as well. Now, yeah, we've come back off of it a little bit right now, now we're at 97 or whatever. Okay, big deal. I mean, that's that's relatively nominal. But the point is, I, I feel like, it, it, in simple speak, the weak hands have left the party, so to speak. Okay? This, this is a good sign for these particular stocks. 
Folks, I just want to make a quick reminder that on Christmas Day, I do have a coupon code that's expiring for the programs on building your wealth, whether it's real estate investing or stock investing, whatever. In Stocks and Psychology and Money, you get all my buy-sell alerts. You get to talk with me in all of the programs in my daily live streams where you get to experience where I'm building my strategies for my portfolio live. I'm talking my my theses on how things are changing live and in more detail uh, than we see publicly. So check those out. Link down below. Use that coupon code before Christmas Day. And then going back to our Doc, her piece, Kathy reminds us that remember, when the pandemic struck, the best places to go were actually the genomic sequencing, the synthetic biology, the messenger RNA tech stocks, the machine learning stocks, the molecular diagnostic testing stocks, among others. Conventional wisdom said, uh, like, hey, don't buy those stocks, but those were the best things to buy. And so, yeah, we got a red year in 2021. That doesn't make those companies bad companies, though, is essentially what Kathy's saying here. Okay, moving on. Kathy then says that it's really important to, to remember that you have a lot of market commentators and high-frequency traders right now who are warning against the mistakes made during the tech and telecom bubble. And this is true. I mean, if you listen to, you look, like at this point, eight weeks ago, uh, when, when I was selling, I was selling stocks eight weeks ago, things were green, things were really euphoric. I said I was setting up some short positions on certain uh, uh, companies that I thought would sell down even more. And in full transparency, one of those was ARC. I invested in SARC. Uh, which is kind of just a funny way of saying short arc, but it, it, it's not really shorting arc because that would push the price of arc potentially down further. It was just taking the inverse position of arc. So if arc went down 1%, S arc went up 1%. Now, uh, unfortunately, I closed my my short positions too early, but that's just you know poor individual timing. The 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 move of selling a lot of the stocks I was doing was right, but why I was selling a lot of stocks was actually before all of this crap started. I was noticing that the market was starting to have a hate on for money losing companies, even if they were good companies. So I thought I'm gonna sell a chunk and then wait to buy back in a little price. That is that is a trade. That's not necessarily investment, it's just a trade and the trade mostly worked out. I lowered my cost basis in, I would say, eight out of the 10 trades that I made. And some positions it wasn't as perfect, but that's okay. That's the nature of trading. You try to be right seven out of 10 times, right? Uh, and that worked out, but here, this, uh, Kathy just posted this letter. And what's interesting is over the last week, we've had people like Jim Cramer and the mainstream media come out and say, all right, time to sell off the money losing companies. And I'm looking and I'm going, wait a minute, dude, the prices have kind of hit a bottom. I mean, you just saw T-Doc, Zoom and DocuSign. Now's the time to maybe think about actually picking these up. So what did I do before Kathy's letter came out? I actually bought 420 call options on Kathy Wood and RK. Fingers crossed. <laughs> also on Hood, by the way. But anyway, uh, Hood, Hood discussion's really for another video. So now Kathy's saying, hey, look, don't bet against DeFi. Don't bet against autonomous electric vehicle transportation. Don't bet against the innovative, disruptive uh, innovations that we are investing in. It is too simple to just follow the mainstream media on this. Don't do that. Instead, now is the opportunity to capitalize on innovation, which will end up looking like, quote, 
the likes of which the world has never witnessed. Sometimes I think there are little nods against Joe Biden in some pieces I read. I could be overly looking into these things though. Anyway, uh, this new age is thanks to five major innovations and that's DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain. Uh, she also talks about this, and this is a big piece for her. She talks, and we, we've already covered this a lot, so we're not gonna go crazy on this, but she talks about benchmark sensitivity, about basically, like, don't root yourself into the muscle memory of comparing to the S&P 500, that trying to beat the market in the short term is, is I'm just gonna simplify this, stupid. Like, okay, cool, yay, you beat the market in the short term. Oh, yay, you're the market and you beat Kathy in the short term. Ooh, talk to me in five years when her strategy's 5X. That's basically the argument that she's making here. Like you actually think the S&P 500 is gonna have a 40% compounded annual uh, rate of return and it's gonna 5X in five years? You think the S&P is gonna be 20,000 in five years? Her argument is probably not because the S&P is going to be weighed down by companies that folks, listen to this, have already had their opportunities to have massive growth and big profit like the fangs. Look, she's been selling some of her Amazon and Apple and, and some of these others, which she sees as almost more cash parks. Uh, and, and so listen to this, even the fangs could be in harm's way as the convergence of blockchain technology and AI in the so-called metaverse attempts to destroy the roles of central data aggregators. Now she's literally attacking fang. Ooh. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see, I guess. We'll have to we'll have to look back. Okay, folks. Now we got to talk about the recession. The R word. Shout out in the comments if you remember when Kevin was doing Meet Kevin reports back in 2019 and we had that like newsy music. But anyway, back in 2019, I did a report while I was in Park City, Utah. And I did a report at the beginning, uh, probably maybe somewhere around March, April of 2019 about how the uh, yield curve was was trending towards an inversion. Anytime you get an inversion of the yield curve, you get this fear that we might be heading towards recession. And this is essentially when short-term dated bonds have a higher interest rate than long-term bonds. That doesn't make sense. Like if somebody asked you, hey, hey uh, will you lock away money, you know, invest $10,000 into something, you'll get 5% on your money over 10 years, and somebody said, hey, but if you lock it up for 20 years, it would be natural for you to think, oh, well, if I lock it up for 20 years, maybe I'll get paid 6% or 7%, I'll get paid more money, right? Well, the, when you have an inversion of the yield curve, somebody goes to you and says, hey, um, we'll pay you 10% interest if you lock up your money for two years. Just as an extreme example, it's like, wait a minute, why am I getting paid more for a shorter period of time? That's odd. That's when you get the inversion of the yield curve. When that happens, the market is flashing this red warning sign going, we're heading towards a recession. And that's what you don't want. Now, one of the reasons this is really odd uh, that we might be heading back to this potential inversion of the yield curve, which is what Kathy Wood starts talking about right here. One of the reasons we're seeing this is because in, in the opinion of Kathy Wood, she does not believe the bond market thinks that inflation is here to stay. She thinks that the bond market is sending us very clear signals that inflation is not going to be worse over the long term, that inflation's going to go down. And in fact, you can see this by looking at something a little bit simpler. It's the 10-year uh, treasury yield, okay? Go over to the 10-year treasury yield, which is right here. And remember how everybody got really nervous about inflation at the beginning of the year? And we had this skyrocketing of the 10-year bond yield, but then the 10-year bond yield fell in the summer as the inflation fears went away. 
Then Delta came around, all the supply chains got whacked over the head, and it, then, then we had these inflation fears come back, so the 10-year bond yield went up again. Now we're at like peak bond or, or peak inflation fears, and look at where we sit. We're sitting at 1.4, which is like over here. It's, it's chopping out all of the big fears that we've had. So why? Well, in the mind of Kathy Wood, the bond market does not believe that the Federal Reserve is going to be capable of raising rates as much. And then instead, the bond market is telling us we are heading towards not only a very flat yield curve, but that we could potentially have an inversion of the yield curve. In fact, get this, the Financial Times yesterday reported that the Federal Reserve, in their statement of uh, or summary of economic projections, which is right here, believes that the federal funds rate right here is going to be 1.6% at the end of 2023. Well, the Financial Times came to us and the Financial Times said the bond market for Fed funds futures is pricing in 1.27% end uh, of 23 Fed funds yields. That means if the yield is 1.27%, but the Fed is projecting 1.6%, then the market's basically saying, hey, we don't think you're gonna get to that level, Fed. We don't think you're going to be able to raise rates that high because inflation's going to inflect down. Mainstream media ain't telling you that, but the bond market is making it very clear. The people actually betting with their money on inflation, which is where you bet, uh, or where you want to bet on inflation, you go bet in the bond market. They're saying inflation's going to go down, which is uh, potentially reiterating that Kathy could be right about her growth strategies. But anyway, listen to this. She mentions here that the bond market seems to be warning the Fed not to tighten. Since February, the yield curve measured by the difference between the yields of the 10-year and the two-year has flattened, pointing to a rising probability of recession, lower inflation, or both during the next year, folks. Kathy's basically saying, look, if Fed Chair Jerome Powell stays on this harsh path, the bond market's sending us all a signal that we could be running to not only a deflationary environment in 2022, but also a recession in 2022. Now, going back to deflation, we got to understand this. When we have inflation, we increase our discount rate, meaning we're discounting future cash flow more. It means that future cash flow is worth less to us, which means money losing companies have their values go down. Deflation, you lower your discount rate. You could potentially have a negative a discount rate if you're looking at certain countries, especially in like Europe, which would actually substantially increase the value of companies uh, in the future uh, that right now are getting crushed under this fear of inflation. And this is why Kathy believes that if we head towards deflation, which she actually says her conviction in is growing, she acknowledges that she could be wrong, but she believes that deflation is coming in two forms, both cyclically and non-cyclically, which is a permanent destruction of pricing, then we are going to want to be investing in innovative companies that take advantage of things like industrial robots, batteries, and the innovations that she's talking about. She regularly talks about rights law uh, and that every cumulative doubling reduces costs by a certain percentage. She believes the cost of robots, that every doubling in the number of robots we have reduces costs by 50%, and the doubling we have in batteries reduces costs by 68%, and AI training costs are plummeting, and that basically, unless you're investing in innovative companies, when it comes to deflation, you're gonna get whacked. And so I like to say that in a deflationary environment, uh, what you want to do is ideally, you want to find two characteristics, two main ones. 
I agree that you want to be in innovative companies. But in addition to being in innovative companies, I think you ideally want to find companies that either are or have the potential to be high margin. The reason you want high margin is when you have high margin and prices come down, higher margin companies have pricing power, which enables them to still retain substantial profits. That is, of course, for profit driving companies versus maybe money losing companies. And this accelerates our ability to, uh, to uh, see cost declines on the S curve of production. Uh, that is, of course, uh, the manufacturing ramp. Uh, she also believes that a good deflation can see uh, not only these innovative companies explode, but she also believes that our GDP could double, that our GDP could go from the 21 trillion where we sit now and double by 2040. And the big winners are going to be the innovative companies. Honestly, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more with, with uh, you know, they're, they're, see, the thing is, I find myself very aligned with Kathy's thinking. There's some things that, uh, that, that I slightly defer on. Uh, that, uh, you know, whether it's a trading psychology or, or uh, you know, timing for certain things. But beyond that, I, I really align with this, this sentiment substantially. But anyway, supply chain bottlenecks that could have lasted a much longer or have lasted much longer than most have expected uh, have turbocharged this inflation debate. So she's talking about how uh, consumer sentiment has dropped to levels below the, the coronavirus pandemic in the middle of the, the depths of it and that people are less confident now because of this whole inflation narrative that's going on. And that some of these things have led people to shop earlier, leading to more like supply chain disruptions earlier than usual. In my opinion, this is potentially going to lead to what I call shelf deflation. And this is when you have a lot of companies who are going to spend a lot of money advertising like crazy in 2022, talking about all these discounts they have now because they ordered too much crap for the holidays. Now their shelves are full. Now we're not selling as much. So what's probably going to do well, in my opinion, in 2022? Well, for 2022 trade strategies, I really think ads are going to do well. So advertising companies, advertising companies like your Snap, your fa uh, Facebook, your uh, Trade Desk, Adobe, Roku, Pins, Twitter, Reddit, uh, and, and potentially also your buy now, pay later platforms like a firm because people are going to want to continue to buy the way they had been, but they might be maxed out on their credit cards. So what do people do when people are maxed out on their credit cards? As Bank of America tells us, they use buy now, pay later. <laughs> uh, things to know. But anyway, uh, now uh, she believes that consumption growth is going to uh, expand with the ex and, and this is where I add the note, but I also think that debt is going to expand. Uh, now she also says that if we're correct during the next three to six months, the market is likely to focus more on the risk of recession and a serious slowdown along with a surprising drop in inflation. Now this is worth noting. If we do, and this is a countervailing argument here, if we do end up having risks of recession rise, uh, then these are potentially going to have some risks associated with them because generally when there's a risk of recession, then advertising goes down. The first thing every company did was cut their ad spending during the pandemic. Buy now, pay later it could be a potential issue because buy now, pay later companies are the ones left holding the bag of debt that's really unsecured, <laughs> right? So, so that is a, if we do go towards the risk of recession, not ideal. If we don't go all the way towards risk of recession, but we just go towards deflation, these could do better. My thoughts, because people are gonna want, you know, want to go, go, go. But anyway, Kathy Wood uh, does suggest that uh, we are already seeing a plummeting in certain prices of commodities. 
And she lists a few here, suggesting that uh, we're starting to see inflation, like lumber prices falling 35%, and some of these other, like iron prices dropping 30 36%. This, uh, and it is fair, in fairness, China has already substantially reduced their steel forecasts, which iron is a component of, for 2022, probably because of the real estate industry. But remember folks, gas up 50% still year to date. Coffee's up 83% year to date. Lumber's up 24% year to date. Fiberglass up 20% year to date. Precious metals are getting whacked. And yes, yeah, some things like aluminum have come off their highs, but they're still relatively high. So I can't say that yet that we've seen commodities plummet just yet, although they do tend to plummet over time. So this is where she, uh, Kathy goes in to mention that, hey, look, we are reiterating that we believe that innovation stocks are not in a bubble. We believe they are in a deep value territory. We believe that volatility has become a bad word, but basically they're creating opportunities for us to invest. And she basically bottom lines her argument by saying, look, we believe that tried and true investment strategies like just buy the S&P 500 are going to suck. Uh, in the next five to twenty, uh, five to ten years, and instead, it's going to be DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology that is going to dominate. Uh, she says we will not let benchmarks and tracking errors hold our strategies hostage to the existing world order. Boom! That's a good mic drop. So I have to say, all in all. I respect this. I think they did a phenomenal job here. I think only one mention of Tesla in here, but she's trying to, she's honestly, she's been trying to distance herself a little bit from Tesla because she's kind of become known as like, some people are trying to cast her as like, oh, you're the one hit wonder who went big on Tesla. And and she's really trying to, which I don't, I don't agree with. I, I don't share that sentiment. Um, she's really trying to separate herself from that uh, characterization. And I don't blame her at all for that. But um, look, bottom line, I agree with her. I think there's a potential of investing in genomic plays. I agree. I, I don't own any recovery stocks. I think a lot of more value traps. I think there's a trade opportunity once we get to peak Delta uh, overlapping with peak Omicron, which I talk about in my Omicron videos. I do think that there are advertising and buy now, play la pay later opportunities uh, going into uh, at least the first quarter of uh, 2021. Uh, I'm sorry, 2022. But uh, but otherwise, look, uh, Enphase, phenomenal freaking company. Uh, cybersecurity companies like uh, Cloudflare, absolutely amazing, especially with the Log4j uh, hack that we've seen and how Cloudflare can help companies prevent uh, falling victim to these sorts of issues. I think that's that's huge. Obviously, Tesla continues to be a big investment. I'm not a big fan necessarily of Kathy getting into Xping, although I do think Xping and Neo have uh, substantially oversold. Uh, other companies that personally uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, Etsy, although you could see some consumer excitement rotate down, although I do expect prices are gonna come down. We're gonna see some dramatically really good sales numbers from Etsy as people clear out their inventories. Uh, Matterport, it's a disruptive innovation. This is absolutely phenomenal. NVIDIA, you can't go wrong with them. Trade Desk for the advertising. Absolutely freaking love them. Uh, SoFi and FinTech, smaller position, but like them. You got headwind risk potentially if rates go up, but we don't think rates are going to be able to stay high that long. Potentially opens the door to looking at companies like Rocket Mortgage or United Wholesale, right? Uh, you know, a firm as the buy now, pay later option. EXBI is innovative in the real estate investing space. Uh, and uh, Palantir as a potential, the fintechs like PayPal, Square, uh, and, and of course the others like um, 
uh, the other stocks that we like, like of course Tesla, phenomenal. So these are some that I've been keeping an eye on and, and adding positions to Roku, Snap for advertising as well. But anyway, these are all my thoughts on what Kathy's just said, uh, her warning regarding recession, something to keep an eye on regarding your portfolio. Want to balance your uh, recession and deflation or, or keep a mind, keep an open mind to recession and deflation when you look at balancing your portfolio. Uh, and folks, that's it. If you found this video helpful, consider checking out my programs on building your wealth. Link down below. And folks, we'll see you in the next one. Thanks so much. Goodbye.